Hey everyone, this is James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. As of right now, 2,828 amazing followers at BankBetterGuy on Twitter. Dozens more at Patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker. For as little as $1, you can help support the Notorious Banker in his fight against big banks. Ladies and gentlemen, what can I say? Thank you so very much for your love and support. I really, really do appreciate it. And, you know, you may have heard the number at the beginning, right? They're saying, wow, 2,828, what happened? Um, last podcast, I think it was 2777 or something like that. But, of course, the breaking news of the last week where Bank of America had this massive Internet screw-up um, brought me 51 new permanent followers, you know. And all I can say is thank you very much, Bank of America, for continuing to be inept at the most basic of things. Because every time something like that screws up, I get a whole new member to the fan club. What can I say? And I'm just really thankful, Bank of America, for that. Um, you know, it's interesting. Whenever we have a podcast like we did the other day and we talk about the outage that impacted so many millions of people, you know, on Bank of America's mobile website and the app. I wasn't one of them. Neither was my wife. Um, it really hits close to home because the people that joined me at Bank Better Guy on Twitter are typically the people who aren't on Twitter to begin with. Those are the people who, you know, search Bank of America on Twitter, see that there's this crazy thing going on with millions of people. They start to freak out. And then once I get my little two cents in there and I talk to them about all the problems that are going on with Bank of America and big banks in general, I tend to get a captive audience. And I got to tell you, Wednesday and Thursday were some very, very high traffic days for yours truly at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. And um, Bank of America did fix the issue about 11 p.m. Eastern that same night. There was still some residual effect of people talking about it the next day. And what can I say? That's what you get, Bank of America, for doing stuff like that because it really does impact a lot of people. And all I can say is to the you know dozens of people who joined me at Bank Better Guy, thank you so very much for signing on to my Twitter page. I'm going to make it my duty to make sure that this is entertaining, informative, and that you become a frequent listener of the Notorious Banker Podcast. It's just renamed Notorious Banker Podcast. Of course, a lot of you know this is the first episode under The Notorious Banker. For the first 106 plus episodes, this was the Wire Bank Sucks podcast. This podcast will continue to talk about how crappy big banks are to customers and to the general public um, alike. But of course, with The Notorious Banker branding, that allows me to talk about other things that are bank related, not necessarily focusing just on evil Bank of America, evil Wells Fargo, and evil Chase. There's other things in the financial world. There's other things just in day-to-day spending that people need to talk about. People want to talk about. That's not exactly bank-specific. And I'm going to make it a point to talk about those things because I really do think they're important. I have a couple of very interesting interviews lined up with people um, that have to do with banking and money. And I really want you to understand what I'm about. One of the biggest strengths that I had as a banker was I was able to talk to people and interview them um, comfortably. I love talking to people. I love learning about them. I always said, you know, the average person is a very, very interesting person. It just takes um, someone to talk to them, you know. And a lot of people ask me, you know, where do I get that um, that skill from? And I always say, two, you know, two things. Howard Stern is a really important part of that. Now, I know a lot of people may not agree with what he has to say and all the vulgar things he's done over the years. But the one thing that is top-notch is his interviewing skills. And I got a lot of um, what I do from him, and I really do appreciate that. My acerbicness comes from the comedian George Carlin. 
Um, I don't mind being vulgar when I have to, but it's intelligence is what I look for. So if you're going to be vulgar, you got to be vulgar with a purpose. And he always showed a little bit of intelligence with his vulgarity and his comedic acts. He wrote me when I was in high school, and it was the one of the bigger life changers of my life. Um, I got thrown out of school, and I kind of did a George Carlin-esque rant about why I got thrown out of school, and I actually got accepted back in. Um, sent him the op-ed that I put in the local newspaper. He sent me back a keep giving him shit letter and an autographed 8 by 10 And I, I still cherish that to this day. It's one of the most important things in my life. Because it, it told me that I needed to have a voice. And I did have a voice. And I want to make sure with this Notorious Banker podcast that people do have voices that need to be heard. So you're going to be hearing a lot more interviews. You're going to be hearing a lot more commentary about things going on in the world that have to do with money. I don't give a shit about politics. I don't give a shit about the things that just make Twitter unbearable. And it doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, whatever. Everyone is annoying in, in a way. And all i got to tell you is we're talking about money. We're talking about banking. We're talking about the things that are important to all 340 million Americans. And, of course, the people who listen internationally, it's important to you, too. So be on the lookout for exciting new things coming with the Notorious Banker podcast as we transition from Wire Bank Sucks. There's going to be um, a very Bank of America specific podcast today, and I know I'm trying to get away from that because I um, I was out of town the last couple of days. I actually kind of ditched Twitter Saturday and Sunday. I was in the mountains. I wasn't paying attention to the world. I didn't have cell phone signal. I was I was hiking. I was um, I wasn't fishing, but my wife was camping out under the stars, having s'mores, having hamburgers. You know, just relaxing the way that I don't get to do, especially without my phone near me, is it was um, a game changer. I got to tell you that. But once I got back the cell phone signal, I realized, hey, the Twitter world's blowing up with a couple of things, and I do want to talk about those in these podcasts on this podcast today. Um, there was a petition for Bank of America to stop funding the drilling at the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And, you know, I know it's kind of a political thing, and I don't want to talk about the politics of it, but I really do feel that it is newsworthy to talk about this petition that literally blew up all of Twitter. So I'll talk about that in the last segment of today's podcast. But the main segment of today's podcast, oh, my God, Brian Moynihan, CEO extraordinaire of Bank of America, had an astounding interview with Time Magazine that I read um, last night as I was trying to reply to all the tweets that I had left over from my little vacation. And the interview is, I gotta say, it's bordering on delusional. And I did a podcast about his insane interview with a magazine in January, pre-coronavirus. And it actually became one of my most listened to podcasts because it was just insane what he was talking about. But the questions posed to him in this Time Magazine article are just as insane. So after this brief promotional consideration on the Notorious Banker podcast, we're going to talk about Brian Moynihan and his crazy interviews and wonder why the board of directors allows him to even do these interviews anyway. So we'll talk about that and we'll have so much more. Thank you so much for listening to the very first Notorious Banker podcast under this name. I really do appreciate you being here. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So, you know, like I said, I was out of town. I was out of cell phone signal. I didn't get a chance to look at Twitter for a couple of days, which is pretty phenomenal for me because I've been nonstop with Notorious Banker, Wirebank Sucks, or its various iterations since I started nearly two years ago. 
even when I'm in Vegas, even when I'm inebriated in Vegas, I find a way to tweet, I find a way to post content. I didn't have that luxury this weekend, so I just kind of disappeared for a while. But when I reappeared and actually made my way back home, the 250-mile journey back home, I'm on the couch last night, just kind of searching through the tweets, seeing what's percolating, and then I see it. I see the interview that Brian Moynihan gave to Time Magazine, and oh my God, it is without a doubt... Um, it's a crazy interview. I, I don't know what else to say. And I know what you're thinking. I know I know you're saying, well, James, you worked at Bank of America. You didn't like Brian Moynihan then. You sure don't like him now since you're not working for the company. So, of course, you're going to say everything that he does is crazy. And fair enough, I will say that. Yeah, I'm a little biased because of my past experiences at Bank of America. It's going to be two years next week that I no longer work for Bank of America. So, you know, I got to admit that's on the back burner. But... You can tell when these interviews go off the rails right away. I My local paper back home in Socorro, New Mexico, it's called the El Defensor Chieftain. I call it the Chieftain. I don't know why. We've always called it that, but it's the El Defensor Chieftain. And it's been around for 150 years. It's a local you know, newspaper. It's like four pages. You know, It used to cost a quarter when I was six years old. Now I think it's 75 cents. It's not worth the 75 cents that you pay for it. I mean, you know, it's just like... Local electric company votes for a 1.5% rate increase next year. I mean, who gives a shit? These are things that matter to people, but I don't need to pay 75 cents to know about them. You know what I mean? And um, it's gone through various owners. I think the former owner of the Washington NFL team, and yes, I'm not going to say their nickname, um, the Washington NFL team, um, Jack Kent Cook, who owned the team decades and decades ago, owned this newspaper at some point in time, or his company did. So, I mean, it's gone through national hands to local hands, and now it's like a regional newspaper. The people who run it aren't local to my town. But this year, they decided to do 52 interviews with 52 important Socorroans. And Socorro has 7,000 people, so to find 52 important people in that town is literally um, like pulling teeth. No, No knock on my hometown, but holy crap, there is not 52 interesting people to talk to. And they have these interviews with, you know, like the soccer coach and the local barber and stuff like that. And the interesting thing about the interviews, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those interviews where the question that the reporter asks is in bold. And then the, you know, the answers in italics for the person who's being interviewed. And those things are good and everything. And it kind of gives you a, a feel of how the flow of the interview is instead of this, you know, kind of puff piece built around an interview it tells you exactly matter-of-factly how you, you how the interview went, I mean, i got to say. And it's always a mess with the local interviews because the people who they talk to aren't used to talking to the media. I mean, these are people who get embarrassed when you take a picture of them. So even if it's a print interview, even if they're emailed the questions, it's just this weird, clunky, bad grammar, bad English thing going on where it's not really good. And there's like a lot of likes in there. You know, someone was getting interviewed last week and they were talking about, hey, you made the decision to um, graduate and now you're back home in this town of 7,000 people. So what are you planning to do for your postgraduate education? And I know the girl, she's an awesome girl, love her to death, but her her answer just really kind of set back interviews 10 years. She said, like, you know, when I graduated college, I was, like, missing my family, and, like, I decided to put my studies aside for, like, a couple of years until I, like, decided to say, hey, I want to go to Baylor University and um, study sports medicine, and, like, I think that's my dream. 
And I'm like, they, they fucking printed this. I'm like, holy crap, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, clean it up. Make her look intelligent. She is a college graduate. She is a smart girl. But the way that we grew up, the grammar that we spoke is not the Queen's English. So it's really, really hard to read in an interview. And I'm like, this is bad. Well, Time Magazine, the, the tried and true storied franchise that is Time Magazine, and um, Evan Shapiro, don't know that name, uh, decided to interview Brian Moynihan, and nothing against Shapiro. Um, it's a great article. It's a great interview, and I've looked at Shapiro's work, and it's 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 great work. I, I got to admit, I always wanted to be a journalist. I'm not, but I respect the craft. It is hard work. But when you're interviewing someone like Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, I mean, it comes off as a very facetious interview, and I got to tell you, I already have a negative thought of Brian Moynihan, and this one just kind of ramped it up a notch. So the name of the interview is Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan is still optimistic about the economy and the lure of cash. Once I saw the title, I'm like, holy shit, this is going to be a train wreck because of the lure of cash thing. More on that in a second. Um, And I don't want to read the whole thing to you, but... Um, I want to give some context as to what Shapiro was saying in the article. It says, Banks offer a front row seat to the state of the economy. After a brutal second quarter for the U.S., Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan believes that the worst is behind the country. Still, his bank's economists predict that the unemployment rate will be at 10% at the end of the year, and the economy won't fully recover to 2019 levels until early 2023. Ouch. B of A, like other banks, has played a critical role in getting government stimulus funds into the hands of cash-starved businesses. It processed 334,000 Paycheck Protection Program PPP loans, delivering $25 billion in funding for small businesses. At the same time, the bank has worked with major corporations to bolster its balance sheets, raising $461 billion in capital for clients. Okay, businesses, people impacted the little guy $25 billion. Major corporations, $461 billion. I don't think that's something to be proud of. I mean, if you're the bank of the people, the fact that major corporations got 20 to 1 um, in terms of you know money for you know operating their businesses, big businesses, small businesses, that already freaks me out. That freaks a lot of people out. And it says Moynihan, who was college co-captain of the Brown University rugby team, uh, worked as a corporate lawyer before moving into banking and becoming CEO of B of A in 2010. He led a turnaround of the bank after a near-crippling 2008 acquisition of troubled some prime lender, Countrywide Financial, attracting Warren Buffett as a major investor along the way. And um, Warren Buffett's invested 12%, uh, is a 12% owner of Bank of America shares. We've got to do a podcast about that shortly. That's It's crazy, and I want to speculate as to why. So, you know, he talks to Moynihan, 60, join time for a conversation about the need for additional stimuluses. And I don't want to get through the whole interview because it's, you know, like the boring stuff, the nerdy stuff about unemployment and the economy. It's hard. And do you want to hear about that all the time? I don't. You know, it's we know it's bad. We know it's going to take a lot of getting used to. So let's move on with that. Um, But there's some parts that I want to kind of just opine on because they're crazy. The first question is simple. How would you characterize your economic outlook right now? And he says, I'm going to do it in a banker voice. Okay, that way it's cool. 
We're optimistic as a company. We continue to see clients making progress. We continue to see the stress in the system come down because of the work the Fed did and the stimulus work that was done. Okay, so yeah, that's good. That's a diplomatic answer. That's something that a CEO should say, hey, we're optimistic that we're going to do better. We want to see our customers do well. I mean, that's really, really good. I, I mean, that at the beginning of the interview, it just sounds like a CEO talking talking shop, and I love that. And, you know, and then it talks about the stimuluses and whether, um, you know, they should pass more stimulus checks and PPP and all that stuff, deficit spending, all this nerdy shit that the average person, you, the listener, I, I don't care too much about. And, I mean, I mean, I care, but I don't. But all the other stuff that matters day to day is down here, and I want to talk about that. So let's talk about deficits, blah, 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 blah. They ask, do you demand a higher level of excellence from our government? I don't want to get into that. I mean, and even he doesn't want to get into it. He says, that's a political question in terms of getting this done. That's better served for political advisors. Our job is to make sure we deal with whatever comes out of it. And it, it sounded good for a while. And then this question from Shapiro really, really ticked me off. And it's not, it's not Shapiro's fault, okay? Brian Moynihan should really talk about the, the struggles of what happened here. But it says, B of A is credited with doing a particularly good job of getting PPP funds quickly into circulation. Can you talk about that effort? And as you know through this podcast and through the conversations we've had at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, that is not the case. A lot of people who dealt with Bank of America with PPP loans that weren't big companies, that weren't that crazy dude in Miami spending $315,000 on a Lamborghini went through shit to get their PPP loans. And it's just like the home loan thing where people were ignored. People um, were being told that their documents weren't getting to the right people and the websites were down. It was a shit show. And I got to tell you, I didn't like it one bit and I still don't like it. Brian Moynihan loved it though. (laughs) He said, the team's done a great job of getting people through this and helping provide $25 billion plus of funds to our clients at one point we probably had ten thousand people working on this i'm going to stop right there so if you had ten thousand people in a company of two hundred and four thousand one in twenty was working on ppp loans and i know a lot of um, people who were off-site a lot of people who, who weren't working in branches were doing the ppp loan testing and whatnot so i believe that uh, he's not full of crap when he talks about that But 10,000 people working on this in a world where branches were closed and a lot of people weren't doing anything and there were long lines. One in 20 were working on this. Not necessarily to help as many people as possible in my opinion. They were looking for the big fish and trying to get those bad boys through. Here he goes again. We spent a lot of time on resources and a lot of effort. We had to to take people off a lot of other places. See, I just said it right there. They were off-site volunteers oh man that'd be brutal to be a fucking volunteer for this shit people working every weekend i worked every weekend i worked 39 weekends in a row when i worked the bank of america true story easter holiday weekend <gasps> easter holiday now i'm gonna i'm gonna stop right there and i don't want to get into the religious aspect of easter holiday weekend saturday and sunday he says um i used to answer phones on good friday and I literally used to answer the phone at Bank of America saying, hey, welcome to Bank of America. And yes, we are open on Good Friday because I lived in a very heavily Catholic um, town. 
So the fact that we were open on Good Friday was appalling to a lot of Catholic people. I was raised Catholic. I'm no longer Catholic, but I understand. And every Good Friday, hey, yeah, you guys are open? You guys are open on Good Friday? So um, the Easter holiday weekend thing is not like a big, oh, my God, they worked Easter holiday weekend. I fucking worked every Good Friday, and I worked every Easter Saturday. You know how I know? Because we always spent Easter Sunday at my um, wife's family's house 300 miles away. And Saturday at 1 p.m., I was allowed to finally leave work on Saturday at 1 p.m., drive four hours to go see the family at 5 p.m. Saturday, go to sleep early, wake up, and do Easter breakfast and lunch with them, have to turn back around, drive another four hours to come back home, that way I could fall asleep early and be back Monday 7.30 in the morning. Don't give me that shit that people were working hard on Easter holiday weekend. I worked on Easter holiday weekend every single Easter night. Trust me. I, I you know I, It's something that bugs me. Because that's not a sacrifice, that's a, that's a mandate when you work at Bank of America. It was all based on the basic principle that the American small business community needed to get this program in their hands. And it was our job to push it through. <laughs> we took it as an obligation to help deliver that for the government, and we did. It sounds so noble whenever, you know, whenever he talks about it. It's like, you know, damn it, someone had to do it. And I rolled up my sleeves and I said, Bank of America... We got to get this done for the public. God damn it. I mean, that, that's what I feel like he's saying. And it's just so funny. And, and it's, it's cool to be proud of those things. But you know and I know and the people that we've talked to know that people go through BS when it came to PPP loans. And I do want to talk to some of those people that helped along the way uh, with the Notorious Banker podcast because it's insane. And then he talks about the corporate clients thing, blah, 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 blah. And then M&A, which is mergers and acquisitions. Who cares? Um, and then he talks about his talks with Warren Buffett. Uh, he's a great long-term thinker. He's 90 years old and he's worth $90 billion. I fucking hope so. And here we go. Here is the coup de gras, the shit I want to talk about because it is ridiculous, okay? It is the most ridiculous thing that I think Brian Moynihan has said. And he has said before he wants to do a cashless society. So Brian Moynihan said in a response to questions of, are people still using cash? Now, I don't understand that question. I mean, who asked that? I mean, my thing with that is, it's a weird question to ask someone in a bank, you know, unless they kind of fed it to you. And I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but are people still using cash? Have you seen the lines at these banks? Have you seen the photos when you search for Bank of America on Twitter of 20 deep people in 100 degree heat Old ladies in 100 degree heat with 90% humidity, they're like, are they going to die? Yes, they want cash. They are still using cash. Brian Moynihan's answer, oh my God, okay. We had as much cash go out of the ATMs in the month of July this year as we did last July. Lie, because there was a lot more. And that is 200 million plus a day. So Okay, so 200 million plus a day, and you do that for 30 days, okay, so that's five, that's... It's a billion dollars for every five days. So it's $6 billion a month in the ATM. And they were still out. The ATMs were empty in California, Nevada, Arizona, Maryland, Georgia, Florida. Branches were closed. We knew people weren't allowed to take out but $1,000 max at some branches. So we knew that there was this limit of how much money 
that Bank of America was offering its customers because they weren't refilling the ATMs. They weren't allowing for emergency cash orders for branches. So, you know, $6 billion a day in the ATM, that's probably a good round number. But it's, it's kind of a weird thing to say, hey, we had as much cash this year as last year. No, you had a shit ton more. And the only reason you had as much cash is you probably limited that. You probably forecasted, hey, you know, we're only going to do $6 billion of ordering for our ATMs this month. Even though it was a pandemic, even though 40 million people got unemployment, and a lot of a lot of people had Bank of America unemployment debit cards, so he knew that there was going to be more. He knew that there was a possibility that most people couldn't or just won't get direct deposit for their unemployment, and they were going to get cash out with this debit card, and these ATMs were empty. So don't give me that crap that it was the same amount. It's ridiculous. It's a lie. Second part of his answer. But the digital part of this really grew through online digital purchases and online payments. He means Zelle. Online payments is Zelle. Zelle is a payment app. Online digital purchases. Of course, people buy stuff online, Amazon and stuff like that. The digital part really grew because guess what? Hello, people were buying stuff online. People were ordering food online for the first time ever. That part's going to grow. So don't see it as a success that Bank of America all of a sudden said, hey, we really did good. People are buying stuff online. Well, they've been doing it for 20 years. They just happened to do it more when shit was closed. And then it goes, and by the way, oh my God, this is stupid. And by the way, it's a very good thing if Americans learn how to use less cash. And what you're doing is, when you go to a coffee shop and you pay with your phone, you will see that grow at a good, fast rate. The fuck is that? What is that? Okay, so he's basically telling you in a passive-aggressive way, and I'm using the phrase passive-aggressive early, more on that phrase in a little bit. He said, you know, it's a good thing that Americans use cash. And that's the way Bank of America typically talks to its people. It's like, well, you know, it's a great thing you did a checking account, but, you know, they really could have used a savings account with that as well. That's the way people talk at Bank of America. So he's talking to this reporter saying, you know, it's a good thing that Americans know how to use less cash. Because he's basically saying to the people who know that the ATMs were empty, hey, you know what, maybe you don't need to use cash. Use your debit card. It'll work, okay? And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And then he uses an example that's truly Bank of America. When you go to a coffee shop and you pay with your phone, you'll see that grow at a good fast rate. That sounds like a training I took. Mr. Customer, did you know that you can use your smartphone to pay for that cup of coffee? You can use your smartphone to pay for your groceries the next time you're at the grocery store. That sounds exactly like a Bank of America training. That sounds like that fake voice. like, hey, Mr. Johnson, did you know with that smartphone you can actually pay for your coffee at Starbucks? Really? How? Well, let me show you. I mean, that's how I used to talk. And that's what he's talking to with the reporter here. And then the reporter's, wait, cash is not dead? I mean, as if the reporter believes that everything is cash, and it's not. I would love to talk to this reporter about how many people stand in a line just waiting to take out $20. It's still a thing. And if you want to hate on them for just waiting in line to take out $20 then that's on you, man. But some people, that's just the way that they only know how to function. They get in trouble with debit cards, or worse yet, they get in trouble when they take all of their cash out. And then he goes, I thought people didn't want to touch cash and that contactless payments were all the rage. <laughs> it, it almost sounds like Bank of America fed these questions. It, it's, oh, the contactless payment. Hey, bro, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing a contactless payment. Fucking A, yeah, that's amazing. Who talks like that? 
contactless payments aren't all the rage. Bank of America literally just introduced a contactless debit and credit card. Swear to God, I, they've been around for 15 years, and Bank of America finally, finally introduced it. My wife got hers like a month ago for the first time ever. I could not believe it. And there's like it's all the rage. Yeah, Bank of America just joined the party. And then his answer is priceless. He says, yeah, the cash piece is still big. It's as big as the credit card piece. He's still digging that in there saying, use your card, assholes. We don't want you to use cash. The credit card piece is the biggest one. Use that. Why do they say that? I've told you this, average bank customer, and you know this already. Because when you slide your Bank of America debit card, you know the Bank of America earns about a 1.5% fee for you doing that from the merchant. Credit card, maybe it's 2%, maybe it's 2.5%. If it's a rewards card or a corporate card, 3 4 5%. Bank of America is making money off your swipes. So it's in their best interest to not offer you cash and making you use your debit card for purchases because that's how they're going to make money. If you take out everything cash and you pay everything cash and then those merchants bring cash to the bank to deposit, Bank of America is losing money because they have to pay employees to accept that cash and to process it and everything. That's why they want card payments. Okay, so it's crazy. And then the, the reporter goes, I know the answer to this is they're spending it, but do you have any particular insight as to what people are doing with the cash? Maybe they are buying print newspapers and print magazines. Honestly, that's just basically an indirect saying, yeah, what's up with these old assholes buying their newspapers and print magazines, even though he's talking to a print magazine? I mean, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about these unrefined people, you know, buying, you know, buying magazines, buying newspapers with cash. How archaic is that? I, I mean, that's what really it boils down to with that question, you know, and it's just it's just a weird question. And then Brian Moynihan answers it in a weird way. He goes, it's still useful to pay for things. People still use cash to buy things every day. Not necessarily the $300 item. Well, you haven't met drug dealers, have you? <laughs> but the $10 item, that's been changing slowly but surely. But cash is still out there. So one of the great services that we provide in our 18,000 ATMs and 4,000 branches that help people manage cash. Small businesses collect cash. They deposit it and people use it. Long term, though, the trend of movement from dollar bills to digital dollar bills is relentless. I mean, okay, come on. Come on, okay? It's an advertisement for saying, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. People still use cash, but we prefer them to use digital dollar bills. It, it works out, and I understand it. I do that all the time. I bought an iPhone. I'm into Apple Pay. I never thought that I would use Apple Pay. I use it all the fucking time for Dunkin' Donuts, for Starbucks, for Burger King, um... I use it at Albertson's grocery store. I mean, I use it everywhere. And I like it. it. It makes sense for me to use that. And when I get cash, when I give plasma, I put it in the ATM. So I'm one of those people who has bought into cashless society. Okay, I understand that part of it. But the way he talks about the 18,000 ATMs and the 4,000 branches is that they're helping people manage this cash. No, they're not. They're limiting what they can get out. by Either by the ATM not being full or they're limiting it by saying, hey, you know what, Mr. Customer, we don't have $5,000 for you. We can do 1000 and we can give you a complimentary cashier's check for the rest. I mean, they're really trying to limit how much people can take out because it costs them money to bring that money in. And I know they make money off of debit, credit card, or you know, Apple Pay you know, usage and all that stuff. So I know that there's a big win for them to do that, but 
don't sell it to people as, hey, you know what, we're here to help you with your cash, small businesses too. Fuck that. They got rid of the merchant line at most Bank of America branches. Okay, so don't give me that crap that they care about small businesses. They charge them money to accept those deposits for God's sakes. It's like 95 cents for every $100 deposited. They're getting a VIG. They're getting a commission off of small businesses depositing that cash. So don't give me that crap. That's stupid. I can't believe that he said that. And yes, people spend money with their cash. You know, people, you know, this is not necessarily the $300 item. I know it sounds crazy, but like I said, people buy drugs. People go to the strip club. People put dollar bills in G-strings. I mean, this is what they do. You, there's no digital way of doing that. So cash is always going to be a method of payment no matter where you go because there's always going to be some element that says, hey, we prefer cash. That's why you see certain gas stations give you five, six cents a gallon cheaper whenever you pay cash instead of credit. They're kind of saying, hey, help us out here. Help us not lose money to the bank. And we'll give you a little discount if you help pay, you know, a certain way. I mean, it's one of those things where businesses need cash to kind of function. And we know this with the change shortage and all the exact change places and stuff going on right now. But my God, you know, Bank of America is one of the leaders in forcing people into using these digital things. And Brian Moynihan had to have the balls to say, we have 18,000 ATMs and 4,000 branches that help people manage cash. No, you don't. You're kind of cock-blocking them from getting cash out or depositing at the ATMs because they're full too to deposit. And the branches are ridiculously long lines to where people don't want to stand in line. So you're actually hindering people from managing cash. Don't give me that crap. And the, the interview kind of, you know, kind of tails off from there. But I wanted to get to this one mainly because I thought it was the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Uh, when talking about Bank of America management. And uh, um, Evan Shapiro goes, what type of behavior will you not tolerate on your management team? And I want to read the whole thing, but I'm going to try not to laugh. And he goes, people who are passive aggressive, if you have a point, make it in front of everyone. Life's busy, there's not a lot of time. People who sit in discussion and then come out and try to either talk to me afterwards saying, well, this is what I thought. That doesn't do me any good because we need to process it together as a team. So Brian Moynihan doesn't like people who are passive-aggressive. Well, he better fire all fucking 204,000 employees at Bank of America because the most passive-aggressive place I have ever been at, and believe me, I have some crazy family members and friends, but the place with the most passive-aggressive people I've ever met is at Bank of America because everything is passive-aggressive. Everything is a subtle dig at you. You know, it's it's not a, fuck you, James, you suck. You're the worst banker in the world. And we're going to fire your ass because you suck. No, it's not like that. It's a, good job, James, on the three accounts. But, you know, you know the goal is seven. And we know that you're really working hard to get those accounts. But it doesn't seem like you're working hard enough. So I really think you need to push yourself because, you know, down the road, I don't want to have to talk to someone else not named James, you know, whenever they're working here. I really want you to be here and I really want you to have seven accounts. I mean, that's fucking passive aggressive as shit. And I dealt with that five times a day, ten times a day. Every manager, I mean, they should take a passive aggressive training because it's like a skill. It's a skill just as good as salesmanship at Bank of America. I was a manager. I was a sales manager. I wasn't on anyone's ass in terms of sales, in terms, uh, in terms of, hey, you need to do better. No, I would talk to people about the sales goals. I would say, hey, well, what do we need to hit our goals as a team and all that stuff. But I would never, I would never be 
well, you know, this bank, it, it could be better, but I know I see other banks doing this and that, and I really think that they're the leaders when it comes to how they do sales, and I really want us to get there, but I think there's some work that has to be done. I, I don't talk like that. We never talk like that. I never talk like that, but the managers who manage me and the people above them and so on, it is the most passive-aggressive shit in the world. So whenever Brian Moynihan says, I don't like people who are passive-aggressive, well, you must not have fucking hired a lot of those people because that's all Bank of America is. Then he talks about Winston Churchill, blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. And then <laughs> the interview goes to, what's the biggest, most complicated decision on your play this week? And then he goes, I'm not sure I could tell you that. Like he's a fucking spy or something. It's a publicly traded company. Let us know what's going on. And then they talk about philosophical Bank of America. What does America mean to you? And all this weird crap. Who cares about masks and Home Depot? And like, like it's just this weird question that just allows Brian Moynihan to go, you know, capitalism provides great opportunity. I believe America stands for the ability to solve the world's great problems. Shut up. I don't want to hear that bullshit. And the last part is my favorite, Moynihan's favorites. Business book, Jim Collins books. He's always thought-provoking. Author, the three that I read the most are James Patterson, David Baldacci, and John Grisham. It's not a world I've ever played in spy novels, but they're fun to read. Okay. His favorite app is ESPN. Well, I, I don't understand that because the ESPN app has really no functionality to it. It'll give you the scores, but it's easier to just go to ESPN.com instead of having a fucking 200 megabyte app that just tells you the scores. Unless you have ESPN Plus and you're watching you know, German soccer or some shit like that. There's really no reason to have the ESPN app. I'm just saying. And then um, it says, one last surprise question. I'll get to the question before that in a second. If you were starting over again, what would you do instead? If I had a talent, I would have loved to have been an architect. I mean, these are questions that 10-year-olds get. And I and I don't understand why Brian Moynihan just has a kick in talking about stuff like this. It's not noble to want to be an architect. You know, I've met architects and a lot of people have really shitty jobs whenever they're architects because a lot of them work for these big corporations and they don't get credit for a lot of their hard work. And unless you're an independent architect, you're not going to get the money and you're not going to get the recognition that you deserve. I'm just saying. It's kind of like working at Bank of America. Unless you're CEO, you're never going to get the good job, James, or good job, whoever, that the average person does because Bank of America is like, oh, it's a team effort. We all did this as a team. Fuck that. I'm good at what I do. I deserve all the credit. Exercise is what he talks about the most. So he says, what kind of exercise do you do? And Brian Moynihan says, I work out in the mornings in sort of a CrossFit nature. (laughs) It just made me laugh. Okay, so, you know, I've told you guys before, I was fat. Okay, I was 320 pounds. I was obese. I was depressed. I hated my life. I tried to commit suicide. Because I was depressed and fat and I didn't have a lot of things going for me. And I found the gym and I love weightlifting. I love doing all these things. I'm 300 pounds but I do cardio like a son of a bitch. And I have 20 inch biceps. I have a 52 inch chest. I work my ass off to be the best that I can be. I don't have a six pack. I can't do a thousand sit ups. I can't do a thousand push ups. I can't bench press 400 pounds. But I can sure as hell go to the gym and tear shit up as good as anyone can do. That being said, I've dabbled in CrossFit because I really believe that that's what I wanted to be. But I'm I'm far too big to be a CrossFit superstar. I'll just say that. I have I have elements of it. 
But I'm just doing a Google search on CrossFit now, and I see people do um, Olympic presses with weights, and this lady looks like she's lifting 180 pounds. I'm seeing people jump rope. I'm seeing people box jump 24 inches. I see this toned lady, gorgeous body, and she's using a 35-pound kettlebell. I see this lady literally with her neck veins popping. Looks like she's deadlifting about it's at 45, 90, 135, 270, 315 pounds she's lifting. I see these people, all of them with amazing bodies, both men and women, doing pull-ups on this little video that I'm kind of clicking at right now. I'm seeing people do burpees. I'm seeing people do some more pull-ups. I see a guy with a freaking eight-pack and his girlfriend with a six-pack. I see someone on one of those salmon ladders that you see in American Ninja Warrior. That's CrossFit. And if you've ever seen the CrossFit games on um, sports TV, holy crap, those people are toned beasts. I wish I can be in a, in a level with them. I'm close, but I'm not there. I, I don't have the endurance. The stamina is hard for me. The strength I do, the physique I do. I'm a big dude, 6'2", 300 pounds, and I take care of my body. Brian Moynihan does not do CrossFit. If he does CrossFit, then I need to step up my game because there is no way that 60-year-old man does all the bullshit that I just saw on this Google search. I don't want to hate on anyone's physical fitness. I don't want to hate on anyone's body. That is not what I'm about. The Notorious Banker has been bullied. The Notorious Banker has dealt with a lot of shit in his life. But I will tell you this. Whenever you lie about something like exercising in a certain way, or, hey, I can lift this or whatever. There's a certain element of um, people that I don't like who lie about such things. Because whenever I talk about my lifting, oh, yeah, I go to the gym too. No, no, you don't. Don't say that. If Moynihan said I got on the exercise bike for 20 minutes while reading the Wall Street Journal, I'd respect the shit out of him. But there's no way he does things of a CrossFit nature. Maybe he jump ropes. Maybe he lifts a medicine ball that weighs 10 pounds over his head. And maybe that's, that strains him. He is a 60-year-old man. I probably won't be able to do 60-year-old man things when I'm 60 because I'm going to be so fucked up with how much energy I give in my 30s to lifting weights because I'm going to be messed up with muscles and ligaments and stuff. He played rugby, so I respect that. He played rugby in college in a, in a sport that was not popular in the 80s or 70s or whenever he was there. So I, I respect that part of it. I think it's really, really cool. But don't say that you do CrossFit shit. Don't say that you do CrossFit shit. That reminds me of Kim Jong-un or his dad. You know, when they say, oh, he, he shot an 18 on an 18-hole golf course, and he leg-pressed 4,000 pounds. I don't need to know that about CEOs. If he told me that you do some light cardio three times a week to make sure that your heart's good, that's fine. CrossFit is a bitch, and you can't dabble in CrossFit-like workouts. You're either in it or you're, you're out of it, okay? The workouts that I do, I start at 9.18 p.m. every Tuesday, Thursday, and then at 5.18 p.m. on Sundays. And I do other stuff throughout the week. But those are my heavy-duty workout days. And from 9.18 to 11 p.m. And then from 5.18 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Sundays, it's an hour 42 of hell. Ask my wife. I do five sets of 12 different workouts, various different weights. And I do it fast. I take 20-second breaks. I don't stop. I'm sweating. I'm disgusting. I'm gross. It was hard doing all that working at Bank of America. And I was a fucking banker. I was a fucking sales manager. The CEO of Bank of America is doing CrossFit? No. 
I don't I don't I don't believe that. So that's that's the thing with the cashless society thing that really bugged me. You don't need to impress anyone. You're the CEO of Bank of America. You make 26 million a year. You're changing this company in your own image. And although I don't respect a lot of the decisions you make, I respect the fact that you worked hard to get that job. I mean, it's it's a hard path to get to a job like that. You don't need to embellish, okay? Run this company and run it better. But when you're telling me that you're doing CrossFit, I mean, I have to question if you're fully doing CrossFit, hey, do you have your mind on your job or are you just working on CrossFit? But if you're lying to me, I'm like, well, what else are you lying about? I'm just saying it's weird. And I know these questions like, what's your favorite food pizza? It's like the fucking Little League World Series. We, we know all these stupid facts about these people who we don't care about except for a week a year. But Brian Moynihan says that, and I'm just really skeptical. CrossFit is, you know, they had some dude who, the CEO, who got um, forced out because of some controversial comments that he made. So it was in the news recently. And I got to tell you, you know, there was a reckoning in the CrossFit world because there's a lot of people who do CrossFit and there's all these gyms and stuff. And it's not just, I mean, yeah, I see people in gray beards in these pictures on here. It's not 60-year-old men, okay? CrossFit is something that you have to live a lifestyle. And Brian Moynihan cannot live that lifestyle and be CEO. I barely could live somewhat of that lifestyle. And I was not, I was like 13 steps away from Bank of America CEO while I worked there. Not to get off on a rant about this stuff, but my God, don't say that kind of stuff. Just say that you work out regularly and I'll be happy with that. I believe that. I believe that you probably have a gym in your house, you know what I mean? But CrossFit, do you have battle ropes? Do you have all these medicine balls? Do you have fucking Olympic rings? Do you have a squat rack? I don't believe that shit. I don't believe it, so don't say it. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Look, you know, we hate on Bank of America. We hate on Brian Moynihan a lot. And what can I say? It's so goddamn easy to do. But when you have something like this, when you talk about, hey, we worked hard to help people manage cash, you help them manage cash by not letting them get cash. And you talk about, hey, you know, people can buy coffee with their fucking phone instead of something out of their wallet. You're already telling us what we already know, that you want to cash the society, that you want people to buy into this stuff that a lot of people don't want to buy into. Like I said, I've bought into it. I'm fine with it. I'm comfortable with it. Millions of people aren't. And that's why I started this podcast, because millions of people are being left behind. Millions of people are running into this thing where... You know, I've I've seen places that just accept credit cards only and they deal with cash. Some people can get credit cards. Some people can't even get a debit card because Bank of America and banks like that block them from ever banking again through check systems or early warning services, which, of course, own Zelle. There's all these things going on and no one talks about it. And this is why I talk about it. Because he just gave an interview to one of the, the premier magazines and one of the premier reporters, deputy editor of Time Magazine. And... He basically lied. He's saying that he's helping the public manage cash. Not true. He's saying that people are buying into this online payments thing. Yes, they had to because guess what? There was a fucking virus that kind of killed 160,000 people and made everyone locked down in their house for months at a time. That's not a victory for Bank of America. That's a victory for the virus. Bank of America just kind of got some secondhand smoke of all these online payments and online purchasing um, benefits, and a.k.a. money. And all I can say is, you know, Bank of America needs to look in the mirror and see things like this and see what they're talking about. Because I know that they're pushing the 
cashless stuff, and I know that it's not going away. I know it's probably going to prevail. But at the same time, understand that there's so many people who will read this stuff. Because I'll be frank, old people read Time Magazine. I, I subscribe to Time Magazine, and I would read it, and I'm like, this isn't for me. <laughs> I'm still in my 30s. I'm not real. I'm, I love the world. I love to know about what's going on in the world. But you don't read periodicals about shit that happened a week ago anymore. It's just not the way people do it. Old people read it at doctor's offices. Old people read it while they're on a bike, like 60-year-old Brian Moynihan should be. So... You see things like that, and I'm just kind of highly skeptical. And all i got to say, Brian Moynihan, is, man, get some interviewing skills. This is like the third one where I've done a podcast about your weird interviews. And all i got to say is, that's one reason why your bank sucks. Did you notice that I still use why your bank sucks <laughs> in this rant here? Why your bank sucks is a segment of the Notorious Banker podcast. And I'm really glad to talk about these things. And I get to talk about positive things as well in this podcast. But this one was definitely not. I will link to the Time Magazine interview in the show notes. You really got to read it for yourself because it is a very interesting piece of art. And that's the way that I'm going to say it, art. After we come back on the Notorious Banker podcast, I have a brief little rant about a petition that's going on with Bank of America in regards to drilling in the Arctic Wildlife Reserve. And this petition was just blowing up on Twitter the last couple of days. And although I'm not necessarily political with anything that I do on here, and I'm not, not necessarily is the wrong words, I'm not political, I do think it's newsworthy and I do want to give you just kind of my two cents about uh, what happened on Sunday, so please stick around. Hello everyone, this is James, the Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. For as little as $2 a month, you can support the Notorious Banker in his quest to fight back against big banks. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, and City routinely give bad service to their clients, costing customers time and money. With the Notorious Banker's vigilante customer service, I use my 13 years experience in the banking industry to show you how to challenge big banks and fight for what is rightfully yours. The Notorious Banker has helped rescue over $1 million since April 2019, and it continues to grow. For as little as $2 a month, you can also get bonus podcasts where I talk about controversial things that are bank-related that no one else talks about. I recently talked about sex workers in banking, as well as alcoholism and drug abuse within the banking industry. No topic is off-limits. Other price tiers will get you additional bonuses, but you can join the dozens of patrons and the thousands of followers on Twitter, at BankBetterGuy, in combating big banks by signing up to the Notorious Bankers Patreon page today for as little as $2 a month. That's patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker. Once again, thank you so very much for your support. I really do appreciate it. Alright, and welcome back to the Notorious Banker podcast. So there was something that blew up while I was in the mountains, and it was ironically talking about more mountains. And it's from the NRDC. And like I said, I I know that there's these places that have these agendas, whether they're political or whether they're to support a certain cause. And I understand that, and I respect that. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, I respect the hell that you believe in the things that you believe in, even if I don't agree with them. Because I really do feel that, you know what, it takes someone with a lot of passion to feel the way that they do about certain things. I know that's kind of a diplomatic and political answer, but what the hell, that's all you're going to get from me. But, you know, the funny thing is, the things that we fight about, I really think are important to both sides for certain reasons. Now, the NRDC uh, is talking about, tell Bank of America, no funding for drilling in the Arctic. 
So, of course, if you're on a certain side of the aisle, you're probably thinking, hey, well, we need to drill because there's oil there and there's money there and there's more money to be had in this capitalist society. And, of course, the other side of things is saying, hey, look at this place. The Arctic Refuge is so beautiful. It's, it's God's country out there. It's amazing, and we want to keep it pristine and so on and so forth. And I understand that, too. I married a person from a small town in the mountains. I was in the mountains all weekend. And although it's not the Arctic uh, National Wildlife Refuge, it was beautiful. The stars were gorgeous. It was cool outside, and we had a good time just relaxing in nature. So I understand that part of it. Here's the thing, okay? The reason why I'm talking about this is because this petition went out, and I don't know what day it was released, but Sunday on Twitter, literally, there's probably, I'm going to say a 1,000 tweets about Bank of America, and about 700 of them were people tweeting this out, um, talking about how they want Bank of America to no longer fund drilling in the Arctic. And i got to admit, for a petition, it was really, really huge. I never saw that for anything that Bank of America did. I know they had some issue with private prisons or something last year, and we did a podcast about that, where Bank of America opted out of funding private prison companies, despite the fact that they funded private prison companies $90 million like the week before. But I'm going to read the, le- the letter that they're sending to Mr. Brian Moynihan, CEO. Man, he's busy today. Dear Mr. Moynihan, I'm writing you today as an NRDC supporter to demand that Bank of America pledge not to fund dangerous, destructive oil and gas drilling in the Arctic, including Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Five of the six, five of the top six American banks, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo, have already committed to withhold funding, and it is past time the Bank of America joined them by doing the same. The Arctic Refuge is special. It is home to some of the world's most endangered species, including polar bears, who nurse and raise their cubs there, and protecting this irreplaceable wilderness is critical to the success of our global fight against climate change. The coastal plain is also sacred to the Gwich'in people, excuse me if I got that wrong, who rely on its caribou for their food supply and cultural survival. Bank of America's peers have recognized that drilling in the Arctic is bad business, nowhere more so than the pristine and vulnerable Arctic refuge. They've done the right thing by drawing a line against it, and Bank of America must too. Thank you. As a place to put your name, address, and get text alerts for breaking news alerts and receive urgent action from NRDC. And this is where I kind of dovetail, okay? I, I respect people for doing stuff like that, but get alerts. That way they can tell you about the next abomination. You know what? Don't tell people what to feel. They're going to feel what they feel about these type of things no matter what. So believe me when I say that I, I am supportive of people's efforts to say things like this because I really think people need to talk about stuff even if they don't agree with certain things. But don't say, hey, put your phone number here and get alerts. That way we could tell you about all these other things. Because then it just becomes a which side of the aisle is more informed than the other. And which one is least annoying or most annoying, however you want to slice it. So there's a couple of things here. And this is why I think it should matter for everyone. First of all, as Americans, okay, we all use gas guzzling vehicles. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. We're all guilty as charged. I love big trucks. I love big SUVs. I'm an SUV driver. I would love a Tesla. I would love an electric car. I would love something that gets 50 miles a gallon. Financially, I can't afford it, and it's just not happening size-wise for me now, too. I don't fit in them. So I understand the, the, the need that people have for these gas guzzlers. I understand the need to want to keep this amazing place pristine. But let's cancel those two arguments out, okay? Because those two have a lot of, a lot of tension, I'll just say it that way. 
But, you know, when they talk about the polar bears and they talk about animals and the Gwich'in people, who I'm not familiar with, pardon me, but there's a two there's a two word phrase that they use in there that just kind of just ends the conversation for a lot of people and it's climate change. Whether or not you agree with climate change or not, I am gonna refrain from opinion on that. The fact that climate change is on there is the reason why this thing becomes such a hot topic. Just talk about the fucking refuge. Talk about how gorgeous it is and why they shouldn't drill here. But you know what, on the other side of things, I think this yes, it's about the Arctic refuge and not drilling there, but also the fact of the matter is Five of the top six American banks, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo said, we're not going to do it. Makes you wonder why Bank of America wants to do it. Is Bank of America that just blind for profits that they're just going to say, hey, you know what, we'll take all the shit and we'll get all the money. Yeah, some company would do that. It's an American, you know, American bank. Of course, they're going to want to make the most money that they possibly could. But even Wells Fargo, who gets so much crap, even Chase, who gets so much crap, and all these other banks who get crap to a lesser extent, have decided, hey, this is not worth it. So why isn't Bank of America pondering that decision, too? And I think, you know what, for the average American, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you got to wonder, it's like, hey, why is this one bank who everyone talks shit about deciding not to make a decision against um, funding this right here? And all i got to say is, no matter your political beliefs, leave it up to your personal experience with that bank. If you've had a good experience with that bank, then say, hey, you know what? I'm going to trust their, their thoughts and, and their ideas because I've never had a bad experience, and I'm going to withhold supporting this petition. But Republican or Democrat, if you've just been screwed and railroaded by them, and you want them to fail, you want them to have a conversation about shit that they should do better, then that's something you should talk about, okay? You should talk about it with your wife. You should talk about it with your family and say, hey... You know, we're supporting this bank with our deposits. We're supporting this bank with our livelihood. And they've screwed us over so many times. So the only reason I want to sign this is because, hey, are they possibly screwing over another group of people? And I think that's a valid conversation to have. You know what I mean? Like I said, it's not about the actual reason why they shouldn't do that so much as to why they're doing that. My thing is, if you feel that banks are making too much money, if you feel that banks are doing too many unethical things or things that are bordering on unethical, I really think you should have a discussion about this petition here. And the only reason, like I said, I say that is like I said, not to get political. It's the fact of the matter is Bank of America, along with all the big banks, but all the big other big banks have opted out of this, have made a decision saying, hey, we want to deal with these big corporations. We want to deal with these big businesses because that's where our money is. Well, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. Bank of America already got rid of private prisons, even though they gave that $90 million to them beforehand. So you you got to understand that this pressure might make them cave on this. And that's going to be an important thing because all I got to say is that this was a very, a very organic petition. And I got to give uh, kudos to those people for setting it up and allowing those people to tweet it out. Because there were so many people um, who, who talked about it, who tweeted about it. And like I said, no matter your political beliefs, you gotta do you gotta understand one thing. You gotta respect that people develop beliefs. Whether it's knowledge and information that you don't you yourself don't believe in, I still believe that it's worthy of a conversation. So I'm gonna link to it in the show notes. Take a look at it. If you don't agree with what's going on, then of course don't sign the petition. If you do, then of course sign it. I'm not saying either way what you should do, but I'm just saying that this is an important topic to a lot of people. Um, especially a lot of people who don't like what Bank of America is doing here. And I really think you got to take a look at it. Don't just blanket say, hey, I, I'm, I'm against you because of these political reasons. 
understand why people do these things before you make an informed decision for or against it. So no matter what side of the aisle that you're on, click on this link, read about what's going on and why Bank of America is deciding to do this, who it impacts and why, and then make a decision from there. That's all I got to say. This this podcast is about why bank, big banks do the bad things that they do. Well, this is one of them. And like I said, it's highly charged and highly political. That's why I'm not going to do 40 minutes on it. But I want to do 10 minutes on it and say, hey, it's out there. If you think that it's something that is worth signing, then go for it. If not, then don't do it. But understand that these conversations need to be had with big banks in order to keep them in check. Because you know what? Even if you believe 100% of everything that a company does, whether it's a bank or your company that you work for is right, there still needs to be audits, okay? Bank of America was good at auditing their branches just to make sure that they're doing things on the up and up. It sucked. They hated audits, but it made us better at what we do. And you know what? If you're a firm believer that Bank of America is a kick-ass company, take a look at this petition, even if you don't agree with it, just to see what the counterpoint is. If you never hear counterpoints, you're never going to be able to make a valid point. So all i got to say is take a look at this. It's in the show notes. The link's there. I'm going to tweet about it at Bank Better Guy. I just want to get some people out there saying, hey, you know what? We're talking about this. And... I think it's an important enough discussion that people of all sides need to just sit down, read a little bit, and then make an informed decision. And that's all I can basically give to the people who have done this petition. Uh, So thank you so much for everyone who posted it on Twitter. I think it's really important that you've done that um, because conversation is needed. We're too busy yelling at each other. We need to have decent conversations to talk about real life um, events that affect everyone. So the link's in the show notes. Check it out. After this brief promotional consideration, the Torius Banker will be back to wrap it up, so please stick around. Hello everyone, this is James, the Notorious Banker, just reminding you that as of August 10th, 2020, the Wire Bank Sucks podcast is actually becoming the Notorious Banker podcast. It's going to be the same content that you know and love, yours truly, the Notorious Banker, talking about the issues plaguing big banks, such as Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, and City, along with some special interviews and some special commentaries about other things impacting the finances of people all across the country. I want to make it more about you the people and less about me 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 i really think that this is a great next step for this podcast i really believe the notorious banker will be bigger and stronger than ever with the support that i have from thousands of listeners and followers and the dozens of people who follow me at patreon patreon.com slash notorious banker once again the notorious banker podcast will premiere on august the 10th in place of the wire bank sucks podcast it'll be the same great content same kick-ass vigilante customer service, but under a new name. So please enjoy. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast, patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. Join the dozens of people who have donated at least $1 to the cause to help me fight back against big banks for my vigilante customer service. Of course, my Twitter project and the soon-to-be upcoming book about Bank of America. Be on the lookout for that very soon. It's nearing completion. Uh, James and NotoriousBanker.com. If you have any questions, comments, um, please leave them there at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. Um, 575-322-4127 is our voicemail line if you want to leave any questions or comments on there as well. Uh, we have a YouTube page that's undergoing some retooling, so take a look at that. Very shortly, I'll have some new videos up on there as well. And we are starting a TikTok page. Yes, oh my God, I'm finally getting into the world of TikTok. 
Uh, I will link to that in the show notes when it's up and running. Uh, we are going full steam ahead with this project, my friends. And I want to tell you that it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on or what you believe about Big Banks. I want you to listen to this podcast because I really think it's going to be the most entertaining view about what's going on with banks and just the world around us. And I really want you to understand that 13 years of being a bank manager, being a bank um, employee, has really allowed me to help people in a way that very few people can. I have insight, I have policy knowledge, I have product knowledge, and I also have the guts to tell it like it is, unlike big banks. So please, please support The Notorious Banker by going to patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. Subscribing to this podcast, leave a five-star review, tell your friends about it, tell your family members about it. Click on all the podcasts. Allow me to get a few cents for every click. Make me some money. I really want you to do that for me because I really think that there's a conversation to be had about what's going on in this world with banks, and I'm here to provide it. We're going to have another podcast a little bit later on in the week. It's a really fun one. It's going to have one serious topic, but then it's going to have one that's going to be lighthearted. It's going to be a theme episode, so be on the lookout for that. It's going to be a blast. But until then, my friends, my name is James and Torres Banker. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. You have a great day.